Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Journey of Hope. Glad you could be with us. The Journey of Hope is a podcast that's especially designed to address the issues that many women face after incarceration. Our special guest today is Mandy Brown. She's calling in from England, and she's going to be talking to us about her battle to overcome adversity, and I hope that we can find in her story something that we can apply to our situation as we go through reintegration and fight through the adversarial things that come our way and jump those hurdles that come our way as we move back into society for a successful reintegration. We're going to be back with Randy, Mandy Brown right after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the journey. to hear from you. It's Mathers Rodney at Yahoo.com, M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at Yahoo.com. Drop me a From time to time, I like to have guests on the show that usually they've written like a self-help book, and they've got great stories about overcoming adversity. And, you know, people think that reintegration is not adversarial. I tell you, you're delusional because it is. And I feel like when we have these stories come before us, we can find little nuggets of help that we can transfer into our situation. So enter my guest today, Mandy Brown. Uh, Mandy has written a book called Nipples to Kneecaps to Die or Not to Die with Cancer. And this is a book about her partner Steve's diagnosis with terminal cancer. And I'm going to go ahead, spoiler alert, hey everybody, he's fine. <laughs> He's fine. And we're going to talk about the results of that journey and what Mandy has learned from that journey. Welcome, Mandy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you're more than welcome. Let's hear a little bit about you and Steve, like, say, prior to the diagnosis, you know, leading up to that. What was your life like? I would say we had a life that was very much full of, of hope. We were a very young couple. We were 24. We got married at 21. We just had our first little boy. So we were there planning everything that we were going to do with our life. My, I was a teacher at the time, and my husband was um, a uh, sales uh, manager. And so everything looked great. You know, we had this fantastic, wonderful future ahead of us. Excellent. And, and then came then it, this diagnosis. <laughs> what happened? And then came the, the diagnosis. Uh, 
And I think for us, because it was shock, yes, he had been ill on and off, and he'd been in and out of hospital, and they couldn't work out what was going on. But when they finally said, we know what's going on, that was when, at the, in the same breath, they went, yeah, we know what's going on. <laughs> really sorry, he's got three months to live at best. He's completely full of cancer, but we will help him to die as painlessly and as peacefully as possible. Oh, God. I can't imagine. And so, <laughs> they, it, I, I, I'll, uh, well, I want to make it clear I haven't read the book, but um, I've read about the book, and I know that um, he had several tumors, and they couldn't find, like, the primary tumor, which just seems strange to me. But um, the doctor told you that, uh, you know, if the cancer doesn't get him, the chemo probably will. So there, yes. is that right? Is that what happened? That is exactly correct. And the reason they couldn't, well, they couldn't find the primary back then. Now they can, but we're talking 1985, 86, so they could not find it then. Okay. Um, so that was one of the issues. But yes, the, the second consultant, because I dismissed the first one, the second one, mm-hmm. um, came along and, you know, he, he basically shook his head as he stood at the end of the bed and just said, I'm I'm really sorry, there's just nothing, we, I don't know how to, where to start, there's nothing we can do. And to be honest, if the cancer doesn't kill you, Steve, then um, the chemotherapy will. I just and we turned up its head and went, yes, okay, you, you finally, somebody has finally even mentioned Steve's name in the same sentence of treatment or a form of treatment, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose at that point, unknown to Steve, because one of the things that I've done is though I told Steve absolutely everything I knew about the cancer, I have not told him what I call the three-month sell-by date. I sort of made uh, a decision on, on his behalf at that point. Later on, he thanked me for it. But at the time, I had to hold that information to myself as only myself, my parents, and his parents that knew. And I basically banned anyone else from knowing. Uh, that was all part of the positivity that we were going to go forward with. But I'd been told very, very clearly that three months was the most that we could expect. So I've got that little number rolling around in my head all the time. And when we saw the second consult, he said, yeah, you may no, I can't, I can't help you. When Steve pushed him and said, well, surely you can start some chemotherapy. When can you start some chemotherapy? He quite poignantly sort of put down his, his folder and he looked right at me. And it was almost as if he knew. And he went, oh, I, I can't start it for at least three months. And I'm thinking, my head screaming, he hasn't got three months. They've told me he's not got three months. What do I do? What do I do? And there was a lot of that. It's a little bit like being, you know, the, the proverbial swan. <laughs> this outer, uh, outer image of, of calmness inside, I was you know, sort of panicking. But at the same time, I knew, um, and it was part of the pact that Steve and I, might, I made, was that I wasn't going to cry. Uh, I had spent a night on my own crying and crying when I had discovered for myself that Steve had cancer. And I remember at that one point in the middle of the night, I stopped crying and I literally announced to the world, the walls of my bedroom, whoa, stop, you know. I'm crying because me, Mandy, 
I'm being very selfish here. Um, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be a single mom. Um, I don't want to be without the love of you know the young man that I met in, in school. <laughs> you know, who's my 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 whole world. And I knew that. I could either continue and to cry and to give in to and agree with what we called, it was almost like a tsunami of fear around us, and everyone around us had bought into the inevitability of death that, that, that's, from their point of view, from the doctors, family, friends, all believed that that's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and we had to uh, fight that together. So Steve and I decided... Um, you know, I'd already made the decision I was not going to cry because I, it, that was just crying for myself. But instead, I was going to channel all of that emotional energy and take control into something I could do. I could channel that energy into saying, okay, let's come up with a plan. Let's see what we can do, what we can control. So that's what I focused my emotional energy. Let me, let me interrupt I, you. Hang on just a second, Mandy. Let me interrupt you right there because I want to know when you made the decision in what direction it's going to go, did it get easier or was, I mean, obviously it's none of this is going to be easy, but was it, was it easier to approach the situation once you had made that decision? I would say, I've not been asked that before, but I would say yes, um, because I've used that almost technique many times in challenges that we've had since then in our life. Mm-hmm. Um and, and yes, it, it is about the helplessness that you sometimes feel with that type of challenge or, you know, whatever the obstacle is, that helplessness, you think this is the end, this is terrible, it can't get any worse. It is about literally stilling yourself and stealing yourself as well to sort of sit there and say, hold on a minute, what can I do? I can't do this, 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 and this. I can keep putting energy into all the things I can't do and I can't change or I think I can't do and change, mm-hmm. but what can I do to make it better? But yes, I would say that it's so easier. It's, 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 this, it's this conscious decision to know it's not going to go that way. I want it to, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And the strength mm-hmm. behind that decision, which I think we can extrapolate from your story and add to our situation here, people that listen to to this show. And, you know, uh, Mandy, what I've got to tell you is I'm not sure, you know, I've been doing this show a long time, uh, 10 years, actually. And, uh, yeah, Yeah. so, you know, I, I think that maybe I I just want to get your thoughts on this. I don't know. I think maybe some people don't have the strength to make that decision. They've been they've been slapped around so much that they I mean there's an element of just quitting. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here Mandy and I'm going to ask you how would you help someone that's in that situation come up with the you know the fortitude to make a decision that it's okay. It's not going to go that way. What advice would you give them? Well, I think, first of all, that was one of the reasons why I did finally write the book. It was very emotional for me to write because there were lots of ups and lots of downs. There is a lot of laughter in there, as you'll see from the, re- the reviews. Some people have laughed out loud at things, and there's also people have cried at things. 
And but that was one of the reasons I, I wrote the book. One because it's a tangible thing you can hold in your hand, you can read it, and it is a story that hopefully will touch your soul. But well, hopefully from reading the story, your the reader, your readers will will know me in their heart almost and be able to draw strength from our story. So that was one of the reasons I wrote the book. Apart from that, I have well, we have come across many people. Obviously, since then, we've worked a lot with cancer patients through all of that, um, you know, the last 30 years. So we've come to situations similar to that. Mm-hmm. I can also, you know, I'll share something personal with you here as well, which may relate. One of our children, um, who's now a young man, he's 30, he was born deaf, partially sighted. He then lost his vision, so he became classic deaf blind. He then also, later on, had a, a diagnosis of autism. And um, he, we, we had a young man who was, we were told would never be able to talk, etc. But he does, he can communicate very well. And he ended up, at around the age of 20, 25, becoming quite independent and living semi-independently. So that was fantastic. However, from that moment on, his life, it's, funnily enough, it is a subject of another book, but his life then became fraught, not with the obstacles he had from being deafblind um, and everything that that brings, but from the obstacles that society, um, discrimination, um, abuse, because he was in supported living and he was abused and we ended up having to go to court and to try and help him. Uh, he was battered. He was, it culminated, shall we say, through 10 years of his life of him having all of these horrible things, which I, I think would have broken most people. In fact, to a certain extent, it broke him. He ended up being sectioned and remained in hospital for three years. And then we ended up being told he'd also now got brain damage and he would never be the same person. The reason I'm telling you that is because for some people that would be horrendous, and it was horrendous. Uh, there was lots of tears as we tried to support him through that journey. A young man who, who now doesn't have the capacity or, and didn't have the capacity to fight for himself or, or anything like that. Um, and, and he is coming through the other end. And we get we had a lovely video from him the other day where he was smiling and laughing and sending us a joke. And he's got through the other end. How he got through that journey, how we got through the cancer journey, how maybe your listeners have got through and will get through their journeys is literally by taking one step at a time, and going back to what I said before, it's about what can I do? How can, and so me as a carer and looking to that, it was always, what can I do? How can I help the doctors? How can I help the carers? How can I help my son? How can I help the shopkeeper? Um, how can I help the police? Uh, he was even made homeless, for example, at one point. You know, deaf, blind, autistic young man on the street. All those things happened to him. And you know, you, you could put your arms up in the air and cry. And I think when you get that feeling, you can't chastise yourself for it because it's a natural human response. But at some point in that dark soul of the night, if you can just grab on to the belief and know these stories, like Steve's story and also our son's story, he's called Dean, and his story, and know that people, despite the odds, despite the challenges, can, and, you know, they're not special, they're not wonderful, they're just people who have others that believe in them as well. And I suppose Steve, I believed in Steve, he believed in himself, we were able to go forward with, with, with our son. I know many times I stood there and I, 
even within our own family, and I actually said, you know what, I think I'm the only one who believes in him. You know, so I think if you've got close to you, a family member or a friend that can offer you that support, offer it to each other, because if you offer it to someone else, then they're more likely to offer it to you. So finding that little bit of a close network to help you take one step at a time and say, okay, I can't control of that. I can't control the fact that maybe I'm in prison or I'm, I'm, I'm even on death row or whatever it may be, but I can control how I behave in this world, how I meet that challenge. What can I do? What can I do positive? And I suppose that's where I can. Sorry, that was a bit long with you. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot again, Mandy, and I'm going to ask you, you're going to be mad at me. I'm going to ask you, do you think that having gone through these two situations that you've described to us, First of all, there's good news in the fact that the the things that you did working with Steve also worked with your son um, in terms of dealing with that. And so do you think that you're a better off human being having gone through those situations, not because of the outcome, but because of your effort? I would say... Yes. I would also say I've asked Steve many times, um, you know, we've come out the other end of this this cancer diagnosis and everybody said he was going to die and he didn't and he hasn't and he's really well now. Um, and I said to him, would you change anything? And he had said to me, no, I wouldn't. The no, I'll caveat that. The only thing he said I would change is the pain. He could have done without the pain. <laughs> But apart from the pain, he said, I wouldn't think because he, and I completely agree with him, I and he, we have both learned such a lot about ourselves, about humanity, about what's really important. In some ways, we felt quite blessed that, it sounds awful, but that the illness, the, the, the terrible thing that was happening to us made us focus on what was really important at a very young, early life, early time in our life. So we were able to really focus on that. And I think that's what I bring myself back to a lot when things are going on around me that is just a bit of a disaster and we lurch from one disaster to another. I will often go, okay, what is really important? What, and knowing what's important to you. Um, and for me, it, it's my family. Um, and to me, it's going to really... Um, Okay, I'll just say it. things like love. I remember when my my mother died uh, recently. She had advanced dementia, um, and she one of the things that she used to say, and she had embroidered, was that the greatest gift of all is love, and in it in its warmth, everything grows and prospers. And that was her almost like her lesson in life that she and she herself had a, a terrible life in, in one way. And then I also think back to my father when he died, and he had, he had cancer and he died from cancer. But on, when I was sitting with him just before he died, he sat up, and he'd not been able to talk for over a month. And as a family, because we've got deafness in the family, we sign. But my father sat up, and in his last breath, he actually spoke for the first time in a month, and he actually signed at the same time. Oh, wow. And what he said... This is relevant. He actually signed and spoke two words, and the word was a repeated word, and it was just happy, happy, and then he died. Interesting. So my mother oh, was, what, 
what does that mean? And, and I would interpret that to say that my dad gave a message, and that was, I'm happy. He had found peace in his life, but also he wanted everyone, us, to be happy because that was important. So it's these little things, finding those things and holding on to them, which I think is um, a, a key. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent information and, and so interesting. Um, I, you know, you hear stories all the time about people that um, are about their, their life is coming to an end. And I've heard mm-hmm. this story a lot where people say at the end of their life, you know, that your family and things like love are the most important. You know, I think mm-hmm. we ought to listen because a lot of people say it at the end of their life. What's the situation right now with Steve? Well, Steve currently is at work. Uh, he works in about eight different hospitals. Um, so he's, he's in, in, in there with his arms rolled up with COVID all around him. <laughs> he's fine. He's going to be fine. Um, so, yeah, he, he, and uh, that's where he is at the moment. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, we want to know how to get the book. Where do we find it? And, um, yeah, where do we get it? Okay. You can, you can get the book on any online um, retailer, so like Amazon or, or any of the others. You can also order it in bookshops. Uh, there is a link by my website, which is www.nipplesgenecaps.com. And just so you know, I've also got a video uh, YouTube video channel called Mandy Brown Author. Oh, cool. And there are sort of little tiny videos on there that may, that may help. But I think... For me, you know, one of the reasons I said I was going to talk to you was because uh, cancer and other devastating illnesses can affect us all wherever we happen to reside. And I wanted to give that hope. It, I, you know, I felt it was very valuable and, and needed to be giving that hope and inspiration. So not only hopefully you will have a, a story that will be inspiring, but we've also got a, a, a big cancer plan at the back where I think that I hope you can give me a list of what you did. So I've tried to follow that, and that's the very important that people can see. And it's got such a link and things like that. But yeah. Excellent, excellent. The book's called Nipples to Kneecaps. Mandy Brown is my guest today. Thank you, Mandy, for being on the journey. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. You're, you're certainly welcome. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back after this. I'm Martin Mathers, and you're on the journey. Oh. Get in touch with me at Mathers Rodney at Yahoo.com, M A T H E R S R O D N E Y at Yahoo.com. Let me know how you're doing. You got an idea for a show or a guest? Send it along and we'll take a look at it. That's Mathers Rodney at Yahoo.com. special guest today, Mandy Brown, and remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? We'll see you next time right here on The Journey of Hope.